Hey everyone, it's Nigel here, giving you a heads up that Tazzy and I are on a recording break for January before we return for season 5 of the Story x Story podcast. That means that over the next few weeks, you'll be hearing rewind episodes of our past live streams. It will be a chance to showcase some of the other shows that we do as part of My Matter, in case you missed them. So you'll be hearing Tazzy and I talk video games in the Gamepad Report, as well as hearing interviews we've done with comic creators and cosplayers. So stay tuned for those discussions and we'll be back recording new episodes of the Story x Story podcast in February. Hello everyone and uh, welcome to another episode of casual conversations with comic creators. My name is Nigel, I'm the Mayamata co-founder and you are watching either live or later on episode 5 of our new series. This is the show where I speak to a different comic creator about their journey and everything that goes into creating the work they do. So we want to showcase the human behind the art form as we talk about each, each person's story and how they put together the comics that they make. So, I'm here today with comic creator Chris Manson. Chris, welcome to the show. Glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. And good to see you after four years, five years. It's been a while, yeah. It's been a while. Oh, yeah, no, now that I count the years, it has been there. Uh, in my mind, it's just been a couple of years, but no, it has been about three or four yeah. years. Yeah. <laughs> so, we realized that between this and our podcast we basically just use it to reach out to people that we haven't spoken to <laughs> in a while so that's all it's about it's just hey we haven't spoken to that guy or that, nice. uh, girl it's like in a receiving while. a letter from a friend in the mail there you go this is the 2022 <laughs> version of letter in the mail and if you are young enough you might not know what a letter is or the <laughs> mail is but just google it. It, it it's out there so just a bit of background on chris he is a mixed cantonese scottish comic creator based in glasgow so we're going, we're stretching, we're stretching out here. Originally from Hong Kong and uses speculative fiction to explore different aspects of tradition, identity and belonging by drawing on both of his heritages. So we're going to dig into that and what that means for your work as well. But since I haven't seen you in a while, how are you doing? Let's start there. Doing pretty well, thank you. Um, I've uh, been uh, keeping up the comics um, as a... Uh... Uh, you might have seen from uh, from a Twitter. Uh, we were actually talking about briefly about our relationship with the social media. I am never off Twitter, but uh, is that a good thing for you or bad? Uh, thing? It's it's a thing. It's a state <laughs> of existence by this point. But um, well, the, the good thing about social media is that it's allowed me to keep in touch with um, uh, with the other comic creators because you know it's it's a big community. UK indie comics. And if you, if we don't have the ability to get around, um, which is kind of easing up a little bit now with cons coming back, but obviously with limited spaces, uh, and, um, uh, kind of some of the companies moving out of some of the markets, um, it becomes a little bit rarer for us to actually meet face to face. So, uh, social media, as, as many headaches as it brings, has it's been absolutely vital for me kind of keeping in touch with the uh, comics folk. And, um, yeah, it's, it's been, it's been good to you know um, collaborate with folks and um, even uh, get some uh, some opportunities as well. 
All right, we're going to talk about some of those opportunities. I know you've got something in the works. We're going to talk about conventions as well. But uh, I wanted to start with uh, with you and how you got to where you are. How did you end up in Glasgow, Arvind? I've always wanted to uh, ask you So, uh, yeah, um, I, I was actually born in Hong Kong. Um, my dad is uh, from Paisley, which is near Glasgow. It's about eight, no, four miles that way. Um, uh, that, my, my dad... That, that um, way, that. That way. That way. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, my, my dad's uh, Scottish uh, and he went out to Hong Kong for a, a little bit of adventure back in the, the kind of early 80s and uh, came back with a little bit more than he bargained for, um, a wife and two kids. Um, so uh, it, it's my mum who's uh, from Hong Kong. Um, so, uh, yeah, we, uh, uh, we we basically moved back to kind of uh, near, near where my dad uh, originally came from uh, and that's kind of... Um, the granularity of where I'm from depends on who I'm talking to. So most people near Glasgow is fine, um, yeah. especially if they're outside of the UK because they don't really know where Paisley is. But uh, uh, what I have started talking more about being from Renfrewshire and Paisley. Um, uh, right now I've got a few uh, pieces and uh, there's a local community exhibition. I'm kind of drifting into fine art. Um <laughs> Ever so slightly, but uh, Paisley Paisley's a, a town with a really rich history, um, particularly in textiles. Uh, so it's got a big creative history to it that people often because it's not it's not a particularly rich town. So it can, that sort of gets lost a little bit. The, the the really rich history of Paisley gets lost under um, kind of a lot of negativity and fear, um, which is greatly from within the town of, or of the town. Of the town, um, because you know people, uh, people live in Paisley. People have lived there for for ages, and you know, I think nothing of going to visit my, you know, my grand and my, my aunt and my cousins because that's just <laughs> that's just uh, you know where they live. But you'll you'll hear people kind of making snide pot shots about it, which I think is unfair. But yeah, I'm I'm, uh, I'm quite big on kind of reestablishing um, Paisley's reputation. Which is why I, I try now to make sure that people know if they're more familiar with the kind of central belt of Scotland to say I'm from near Paisley. So yeah, that's that's how I wound up here. I did spend a few years after uni uh, living down in Manchester, but uh, I liked it too much here, so I came back. Yeah, and is making comics been something that's always been on your mind? Because like we speak to a lot of different creators, a number of like comic creators either here or on our podcast, and. Just seeing how people arrived at their destination. Some people like always had it in mind. Some people like, oh, I didn't realize this is something I can do. So for you, was that always the plan to make comics? I think I've been making comics since I was uh, about five or six. Uh, the very first comics that I would have made would have been with uh, with my friend, uh, kind of just after we moved uh, from Hong Kong. It was a terrible knockoff uh, Sonic comic. I think my character was called my OC. Do not steal. It was called <laughs> CJ the Cat. He um, didn't run fast, but he did have a very fetching uh, pair of uh, chunky earphones. Uh, I think my friend's was a more straightforward uh, hedgehog type character. But uh, I think we must have um, uh, gotten into because I I I've been reading comics since uh, I was very young. Um, my gran used to send over. Um, I, I don't know how familiar your uh, the, the listeners might be uh, with uh, DC Thompson comics. Uh, they they do the Beano. You'll you'll be familiar with the Beano, right? Right. Um, but they also do uh, because they're based in Dundee. They they also do a couple of very 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 Scottish comics. Um, which will be very familiar to, to anyone from Scotland. It's called uh, Ur Willy, uh, is one of them, which is about a wee boy, and The Bruins, uh, which is about a family. 
Um, you seem to be perpetually stuck in the year 1966. But it's it's a, a, a kind of genuine slice of Scottishness. And my grand used to send me albums of these over, presumably to make sure that I grew up Scottish. <laughs> Just um, to make sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but that's, that's how I learned to read, was by reading or rolling the Bruins. And uh, my mum was a huge... My mum, by the way, still reads more uh, graphic novels than I do. Oh, and, and I work in the industry now, so... <laughs> But she, she always loved uh, it. was um, Asterix and Tintin um, yeah. were the comics that she read growing up. Uh, so naturally, she introduced me to them. So uh, kind of uh, Hergé's Lean Claire um, uh, has been a huge influence on me. And of course, coming from uh, an Asian cultural sphere as well, it's very difficult to, to escape the, the reach of manga. As you can probably see, that's mostly manga. Uh, there's like a Marvel section there, but yeah, above and below manga. <laughs> So a lot of influences there, and, and well, yeah. it sounds like family influences as well. That doesn't always happen, like having mm-hmm. sort of family into the the creative thing that like the child is into. So that sounds like you had support in that sense. Yeah, to an extent. Um, they, they, they were really, really good about introducing me to things and different art styles and kind of making sure that I was exposed to things when I was young. I often talk with my sister, who's a school teacher about the value of just bringing kids to like a museum or an art gallery. You don't have to necessarily pay attention to everything because they're children and their attention span lasts about half an hour at most. Yeah. But they'll remember it later on. And they'll go, I remember seeing that. I remember this painting. I remember this artist's name. And that'll spark something later on in life. And they'll think back and they'll go, well, I'm really glad that I was given the opportunity to go there. Mm-hmm. Um, so my, my folks were, were very good about making sure that I had a really good kind of solid cultural basis uh, for from both sides of um, of the family as well. So I wasn't just kind of told, here is a bunch of Scottish things and this is the only thing you'll be, uh, you know, you'll be reading. So I got taught about um, a lot of Chinese mythology and stories and comics and things as well uh, from uh, uh, from my mum and from uh, my, my aunts and my uncles as well. Um, they, they were kind of less keen for me to try and actually make a living out of uh, art. That's the thing, um, right? It's like, yeah. okay, you can enjoy it, but you trying to make money out of it? How does that work? But in, uh, in fairness, once I showed them that I wasn't going to spend uh, the time that I'm dedicated to, like freelancing in comics, um, just kind of sitting about the house, they, they, they'd become a lot more at peace with it. Uh, and yeah. they, they are incredibly supportive. Um, I owe them a lot, um, yeah. really. That is cool. And like with those influences, how does that find its way into the work you do now? So... I imagine there's some influence on either like sort of visual style, storytelling style. Oh, absolutely. Um, I'm constantly experimenting with different um, visual styles. I've kind of settled on two or three that I can reliably reproduce, uh, one of which is manga. I started out drawing manga. I still have my How to Draw manga from uh, Shoisha downstairs, um, which I've started trying to hand out to... Um, uh, to younger cousins or um, yeah. uh, uh, kids in my, my sister's classes who, who who need them more than I do, basically, mm-hmm. at this point. Uh, I've also been kind of uh, developed a slightly more realistic style, but you can still tell that it has that, that root in manga-style illustration. Um, I do have a tendency to uh, draw characters looking just a little bit more Asian than... Uh, or I perceive them to be anyway. Uh, I don't know if it's always, but um, I do occasionally have to try and break out of um, kind of Asian facial structures and things. I, I don't know. It wasn't a conscious decision. It's just something that I've kind of realized over the years. 
uh, uh, something I kind of wonder about because um, I will often describe myself as being Asian. I do have to remember that you know, uh, I have a Scottish component as well, and I do you know, I embrace uh, both sides of it. I'm a big proponent of um, embracing both sides of my heritage rather than limiting myself to to being half of anything. But I, I, I occasionally wonder if it's because it helps make me stand out a little bit. <laughs> but that's not necessarily a bad thing because it's something I'm, I'm proud of. It's something I'm very proud of. Um, and something that uh, I'm keen to to kind of help spread my knowledge and experiences and uh, and everything to as many people who listen, basically. Well, and the, the third style that I've developed is um, a kind of very simplified uh, style, but again, still recognizably takes cues from, uh, out of all things, uh, kind of Chinese commercial illustration. If you go to like a, a, an Asian supermarket, You'll see kind of painted renderings of, all, and they're all like chubby cherubic children yeah. with bright red faces. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just, I absolutely adore that. Which I kind of guess is a sort of uh, Chinese version of Americana, um, a kind of nostalgia for a specific art style that was, it was designed to sell, you know, <laughs> biscuits and oyster sauce. Mm. Um, but it's it's very much a, a, an ingrained part of my my, my experience and. When I did the intro for you, there was the the phrase speculative fiction, which is a uh, thought was an interesting one. Can you explain that? Like, what is speculative fiction? Speculative fiction is what you say when you can't make your mind up whether you want to do <laughs> fantasy or science fiction. Oh right. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I've been steeped in science fiction since I was quite young. Um, I think from about age six or seven, um, oh. I, I'd been introdu- uh, introduced to Star Wars. Uh, I, I used to read a lot of Asimov when I was in uh, kind of early high school, and then later on, uh, kind of, uh, started uh, watching Star Trek and, and such as well. And okay. what I kind of learned over the years um, is, you know, because uh, obviously when you're younger, you read these things; they're tales of adventure, and um, you know, they're exciting stories. But uh, as you get older, you kind of begin to understand a lot of these um, writers and creators are using it to analyze the real world. You know, yeah. they're um, using the kind of exaggerations or the logical extrapolations of science fiction and fantasy to explore real world issues, either because it was maybe socially unacceptable for them to do so, kind of thinking back to America in the 60s, um, where a lot of science fiction um, is examining, you know, the civil rights movements, uh, things like that, to kind of explorations of, well, what what could be a better future for us? What do we need to do to get there? Which you see in a lot of Asimov's uh, work and even um, uh, E&M Banks, um, kind of a local hero. God, how, how young was I when I started reading M. Banks? His work's yeah, quite dark, but I've been reading it. <laughs> the deep end of that. Yeah. Um, his work is deeply philosophical. Um, and again, didn't maybe appreciate it too much at age 11, 12, but glad that I read it at the time so that I can revisit it and go, oh, that's that's what he was trying to say there. And say, oh, this is a supposed to be a utopia, but there's kind of dark underpinnings to it. Mm. Yeah. And do you feel like with the work you do, maybe the stories you explore, do you also use it to examine like today's world? Because I always find that interesting how you mm. can, like Star Wars is just this universe, I was going to say world, is universe of just different races, creatures, but you can make it very tied to the world we live in today. I always love like yes. sort of stories' ability to to do that, and you know, obviously we're talking comics, but 
any story but comics you can do that as well you can explore that make something mm. that's just so random on the surface mm. but the the underpinning themes are about okay i can relate this to today so yeah. is there anything that you like look to examine today through your work absolutely um i actually this was something i originally struggled with when i started kind of doing comics a bit more seriously because in my head i just wanted to tell cool stories yeah um but the more experience that I got writing stories and, and realizing that, you know, the, I did have underlying messages or I had messages that I wanted to get across or ideas to explore. And a lot of them, uh, actually, uh, wrote uh, as part of my interview for, um, uh, Quindry Press, um, uh, who we'll talk about later on, um, um, is I write about two things, things that annoy me and things that I find quite cool. So a lot of my uh, satire and um, um, even when it's not satire, it's just a, a kind of um, allegory or metaphor comes from things that bother me, particularly, um, like you mentioned, um, I, I do write a fair amount about following tradition, um, which that stems from both kind of Chinese culture and Scottish culture. And you're meant to respect your elders, mm. which is fine. Uh, uh, there's absolutely no problem with that. My issue is when... It becomes, you know, their word is law. You must follow them right or wrong. Right. Which is a very, it's a very Confucian thing. There's a bit of Calvinism in there as well. Um, so it's something that I'm very fortunate not to have experienced directly from my immediate family, but it's something that I see in extended family. It's something that I see in both cultures. Um, so kind of challenging that traditionalism and examining the consequences of challenging it because it's all well and good to say this, you know, this must be taken down but you also need to acknowledge it's not free there is a price to be paid for challenging that mm. but you know maybe it it, it it has to be paid it's not to say don't do it it's just to say expect a cost sure um, always being aware of the consequence yes of things yeah and you know it's important to bear in mind um when when we want to 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 affect change that it doesn't happen just by willing it into existence it has to be fought for. So a lot of my stories are about um, about doing that, is fighting against an entrenched system or a hierarchy or a way of doing things and understanding that it's difficult. There are difficulties involved in it, but they can be overcome, particularly if you work together and stand strong and you know push back to prove that there is resistance. You're not going to just kind of buckle down, you know, buckle under the pressure. I like that idea and, and it reminds me, so we've got a story, uh, one of the stories in our universe is uh, called Hot Lunch. So it's a story about yes. a, a band of, I guess, thieves, criminals, so Robin Hood kind of thing, trying to bring down the shadowy organization of restaurant owners. And yes. the so the first volume, you kind of see how things come together and like, the first the first strike, so to speak. But like thinking about how where the story will go i've like obviously you you know you come at a story you've got a general idea but mm -hmm. then like some of the themes you said about like changing that like the system because that's essentially what it is it's this system that is mm -hmm. on some levels many levels corrupt yeah. but is entrenched and then not only like how do you as the 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 team the small the small team change it but then how mm -hmm. do you get like others to even think it can be changed as well. And that's one yeah, of the things absolutely. I want to explore, like getting other characters with different perspectives on basically this is just the way things are and we're just going to accept it and be like, no, we have, mm -hmm. to, we have to change it and how to explore that. 
Yeah, definitely. And I, yeah, there's there's solid real world parallels there because a lot of people, when faced with something that they know is wrong or they know needs to change, um, they're either comfortable with where they are, yeah, and are unwilling to see it change, or they're afraid of what they might lose. The consequences. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it sometimes takes somebody to make that first strike, like you said, to, to show it can be done. Hmm. And then others will rally. And, you know, art can be a powerful tool for that as well. Um, the, you know, there's uh, a lot of, um, it's, it's a, a kind of clumsy word, I think, but artivism, um, which is <laughs> activism through art, um, which I, I think can easily be written off as, um, people not doing a lot. But the, the truth is, uh, you know, conducting activism through art brings issues to the front and it allows you to explore um, you know, what, what might be, what has been done in an indirect way so that you can plant those seeds, you know, uh, in the minds of others and show them, yeah, no, this, this could be possible if we, if we dared, if we dreamed, if we pushed for it. Mm. Um, and that, that's where the power of that comes in. Um, it's not just you know telling stories or or drawing pictures or anything, and this applies to all storytelling. Is that you know there is a message underpinning yeah. almost every piece of literature, every comic, every piece of art, and you know that's 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 what we as creators want to do is to get that message across. And sometimes that message is look at this really cool robot, <laughs> but uh, um, which has its place. You know, uh, escapism. Absolutely has its place um, yeah. in amongst um, a kind of work with deeper meaning because you can't be on all the time. No, that's the thing. Right, you do need that. And I feel uh, I was having a conversation at a networking event the other week, and someone mentioned how much they like the Marvel films just because it's like mm. just escapism. Yeah, and it's like yeah, I I get that. It's like especially where we are, is you just want you just want to be off sometimes and just yes, just think of something else. And again, like comics has that versatility as so many art forms do but like comics has that versatility where you can it can just be like look at this cool artwork it's like mm. uh or interesting story but then it can also be okay we're going to examine this issue this topic uh yeah. make a fanciful story but underpinning it is like this topic you can engage with in a different way because presented in mm. in a cool format yeah definitely absolutely yeah and i mean uh we mentioned that so it's been a while since uh, we've seen each other. We did meet, so we met at Thought Bubble, right? Thought Bubble yes. in Leeds when it was in Leeds. Yes, um, in... I think we did. The... We weren't in the same hall for the one when they moved to Harrogate. I think I passed by your table and said hi. That oh, must have been twenty nineteen because I was kind of yes. further back, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. and you were uh, kind of near the front of the the convention yeah. hall. Um, so uh, yeah, I think that was the last time that we saw each other. Oh man. Uh, have you done a while many still. <laughs> you done many conventions since? No, because obviously with the, the couple of years uh, in lockdown, yeah. it was difficult. I was a bit reticent to go back straight away. Um, I know that uh, MCM had started back mm. last year, I think, but I just wasn't ready to. It was the traveling. If it had been something closer, like um, Edinburgh Comic Art Fair, I would have been a little bit more okay with that. But the kind of long distance traveling in a packed train. Um, sure. And then, uh, I mean, the last time I did a MCM London, which would have been 2019 again as well. Um, I think I got sick on day two 
which uh, wasn't wasn't brilliant, and that that was just regular Concrad. Um, so I'm going to still have flashbacks to that. So, but this this is the first year that I started doing cons again. Uh, I started back with uh, Glasgow, uh, which was in June, uh, which was fantastic. It was really good, just seeing folks again, um, uh, catching up with uh, you know creators uh, from uh, uh, from England and Ireland uh, who'd um, come up uh, that, that normally I'd be seeing what three or four times a year, but hadn't seen in in quite some time. Um, and then I will be doing uh, Acme, uh, Scotland, uh, in a couple of weekends' time, which uh, is um, is uh, one of the same organisers for Glasgow Comic Con, because MCM no longer does um, MCM Scotland. Um, oh. uh, Shah's kind of stepping in. Was that uh, since and, the pandemic, uh, or was that a before? I think that was since the pandemic. Um, they seem to have kind of cut back to uh, to London and Birmingham, and again. It's uh, there were always really popular conventions, and I, I think Birmingham still has my single day highest sales record. I was kind of cheating though; it was immediately before Christmas, and I was selling Christmas cards with cats on them. So, uh, oh, that's yeah. like we'll put a little asterisk <laughs> beside that record. Um, but uh, yeah, um, the, I, I think just to kind of protect the business, they they kind of scale back, so they uh, they no longer do uh, MCM Scotland or Manchester, and I think they did have one. In Dublin, maybe, um, which yeah, I haven't no, seen. There was an all. Irish one too. Yeah. So, um, local companies seem to have kind of stepped in. I think Megacon is now the one in Manchester. Yeah. Which I guess isn't I, that someone formerly of MCM who started I don't know that. their own convention? Right. I feel like I, I will fact check that later, but I feel like right. that's where that's come from. And oh, yeah, that's so, interesting. Yeah. And how have you found it? Is, has, your, has your approach to conventions changed at all since the pandemic? I think it has. What I'm doing now, or uh, uh, certainly what I find myself doing uh, in Glasgow is I'm kind of cutting back on a, I used to bring uh, kind of stickers and button badges and things uh, kind of merch to sell alongside my comics, but as I've expanded um, the, the library of comics that I, I have to sell, I find that people are more interested in those they're more interested in hearing about the stories than they are in buying the stickers or the badges, with the exception again of the badges that have cats on them. Um, oh yeah, cats people, people like, love cats. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, they're not going anywhere because they actually make a re- for for something that sells at fifty p a pop. They make a reasonable quantity of cash, which I'm only slightly ashamed to admit. But yeah, <laughs> people like zodiac cats apparently. Um, but yeah, it's it's more interesting, uh, uh, I think, for people to talk about stories, and uh, it's certainly more interesting for me to kind of pitch them. Because uh, uh, in Glasgow, uh, in particular, uh, this year, I found a lot of success in selling. Uh, I'd uh, just um, printed a new book and telling people about that because people who uh, who have seen before other cons, they already have my existing library of work, and yeah. um, so being able to pitch them a new uh, a new book was good. And you know, kind of that energy carried through to uh, kind of talking to new customers as well, and. You know, if uh, what, what I quite like doing isn't necessarily just selling them, here's my new book. And what I'm trying to do more of is talking to people and saying, what kind of stories do you like? And they'll say, oh, oh okay. I like action adventure, I like science fiction. And say, oh, well, here, you know, here's this book that I've done, which you might enjoy. Because you've got the range now. Yeah, which um, is something that kind of happens over time. You know, as much as I'd like to recommend to every comic person out there, do this, this is exactly the way to do it. It does rely on you having spent a lot of time doing a lot of work uh, and you know, investing kind of materially in your uh, your comics as well, which you know can be very difficult to justify for somebody who's just starting out. Mm. So it's you know 
experience and um, yeah, just having a an extensive back catalogue at this point. Yeah, you just have to like build it up over time. So I, I found that as well, mm-hmm. just like having different comics and different types of stories, and then you mm-hmm. can allows you to have a bit more flexibility in the conversations you have with people. Like for me, so I've I've done yeah, I've done one convention which is the Portsmouth Comic Con mm-hmm. in May. And that was sort of delayed from 2020. And then right. I've got Thought Bubble coming up. I think that's the only two. Right. I think so. Yeah, my yeah. outlook has changed a little bit. Not necessarily pandemic related or like health and safety, but more of a, I guess, commercial. Just just the the enforced hiatus kind of force. It forces you to look and like, you know, how things go yeah. and what you like doing, what works, what doesn't. And then I kind of mm-hmm. realized like the way... I think more the way I was doing conventions wasn't necessarily working as well as yeah. it needed to. And then there were other parts because we do, like for people uh, who are watching, well, obviously we do Twitch streams, so uh, we do that. But uh, so as well as making comics, uh, we also have a, a video game event. Uh, I also do workshops with young people in like schools and things. And it's just like, okay, what's the like, priority? And they kind of what sometimes especially people like starting out and it depends what you want to do with it but you kind of feel mm. it's it's not just making the comics you've got to think of like the, all the all the other stuff yeah right yeah how's this going to make money what's the the main source and all that stuff so i had to have like those <laughs> kind of yeah. conversations with myself and then realize that actually what we need to do like for us is introduce like our characters yes go and sell things but because we have these characters that you can see in the overlay mm. like get them like known and kind of push them more which i didn't feel i did yeah. enough at conventions so i've got an idea of how mm. i'd like to approach conventions like next year and be a bit more of a i don't even know what the thing is like presentation thing almost like a, treat it as a marketing thing as well as absolutely a selling comics yeah. thing. yeah uh and you know what that is kind of the place i've arrived at mm. in that for me the main benefits of doing a convention aren't selling the comics um i mean it's nice to nice to make a bit of money uh, to, to kind of justify you, yeah, you going there to pay for the trip itself but the main benefit i found is actually just getting the work out there and getting people on board i mean my social media following isn't you know the most stellar but it's certainly bigger than it was and um, you know a couple of years ago and you know it has a kind of snowballing effect as well because the mm. more people that uh, follow your work the more people that are fans of your work the more they'll talk about you and the more uh, they'll bring other people into the fold so that eventually you can do things like uh, run kickstarters or uh, open up online shops and there is an audience there and that's I think that's why conventions are still a very important thing, particularly for people who are starting out doing mm. comics. Because if you don't have a huge um, uh, fan base, if you don't have a huge reader base, you need to be able to get out there. And you know, this is um, you know the good thing and the bad thing about conventions is that they are amazing for getting your work in front of a huge audience because you can actually talk to people, you can bring them in. I mean. I, Admittedly, I'm a bit of a kind of carnival barker. <laughs> like, I am trying to make eye contact with people as yeah, they walk yeah. past and reel them in. I don't know if you know Matt Garvey. Um, uh, I don't uh, know. I'm just trying to think of it. He does so much work that it's difficult to actually uh, tell you what his most recent one is. <laughs> uh, the, the only one that I can think of is only memorable because as a swear in the title, I'm not going to tell you what it is. But uh, yeah, uh, he, he is one of the best salespeople I've ever seen at a con. 
largely because his day job is in sales. But oh, he's right. really good at doing that kind of talking to people, kind of fairly low pressure as well. He's not trying to go, you know, you will buy a comic from me. He'll, yeah, he's doing I've the same that. thing. Yeah. Jeez, <laughs> oh, no. It's, you, you kind of go, oh, no, don't do that, please. This isn't the place. Uh, but no, Matt, Matt is a fantastic kind of example of, you know, the, the, the opportunities that conventions offer because he's snagging people, uh, uh, he's uh, bringing them in, he's getting them to look, he's leaving them to kind of flip through his work as well. And if he sees that they're kind of focusing on one thing, he'll pinpoint that and he'll go, oh, let me tell you about this one. And, you know, that's actually volume one of, there's two, and, you know, volume two and three there. Uh, and you'll kind of top that up as well, which is a hundred percent, you know, a skill set that creators really do need to kind of develop in. And I know it's something that a lot of us as, you know, <laughs> studio dwelling introverts, um, <laughs> aren't necessarily keen on, but it's not just useful for selling stuff at cons. It's useful for pitching stories as well for, for getting into public, you know, publications. It's about selling your work. Conventions are prime territory for practicing that, but the problem with the kind of relying on conventions to do all of that is they only come around every so often. Audiences will eventually get tired if there's too many cons in a kind of short space of time. And you know, they're big events; it's easy to get lost in them as well. Um, oh yeah, so, for sure. MCM yeah. is prime example. I mean, I, I love MCM. Uh, it's a shame I'm not doing any this year. Um, but it is so easy to, to, cause, you know, you are one of you know, dozens of artist alley yeah. folks and then you're, you know, uh, kind of wrapped in amongst the, um, uh, the, the stalls, which are all selling merch. Um, I think that it was, it was kind of mildly comedic. It wasn't, it wasn't at one of the MCMs. It was a, a Paisley Comic Con, actually, which was a fantastic con, but small company. So I, I think they, they've not been able to pick that back up. But I, I did once see, um, uh, it was a, a Glaswegian comic creator called Chris Baldy, um, who had the, the poor fortune to be right next to a stall that was selling merchandise. And because Paisley, um, brings a lot of, uh, families in. So yep. kids want to go and see, you know, uh, the Marvel comics and the marvel toys and things of course so any opportunity that you might have had to say oh well i do kid-friendly comics do you want to read this this is about you know this is space captain captain of space mm-hmm. which is an amazing book by the way and is perfect for you know kind of adventure seeking kids but wow. because you know uh, because of the Fine unfortunate man. placement yeah yeah. Uh, it's <laughs> difficult to win out against you know yeah. the might of the marvel marketing department oh no it's, it's i've um the, i think the worst i've had is been at mcm and um so it's one where we didn't get a comic village table but we got a sort of regular exhibit table yeah so we've done that uh, several times or we try and get two one in each area but this one mm. time i was next to um uh, a funko pop stand oh, that was, that was it, man. I, I did not exist. <laughs> that, was, that was not a good feeling because then, because obviously everyone comes over to them and then everyone kind of spills over. So now you're just being blocked out. I was just like, ah, no, this is not not where you want to be. And it is a difficult thing as a independent comic creator because you, you have cool work that there is an audience for. Yeah. But it's getting that audience to be aware of it, trust it, and then sort of like, buy into it and i feel you mentioned kickstarter i know that's like a good platform to kind of i mean th- that comes with its own challenges of like mm. being one of of many hundreds thousands however many projects but if you can get that attention on a project then you can start mm. to cultivate your 
your own community. Um, yes. I don't know if you found, because I think you've got a, a project at the moment, right? We do. Um, it's actually being run through, uh, I mentioned, Quindry Press, um, the publisher based in Edinburgh. Um, it's a collection of six stories. Um, uh, and I have one of my speculative fiction kind of punching up against the man um, <laughs> stories in it. And it's kind of, it's a, it does make a big difference because I've done one Kickstarter before, um, with, uh, uh my friend, uh, Luke Halsall, which was, it was just the two of us doing a comic. And it was very, very, very stressful <laughs> because, you know, um, unless you have a massive audience that is also willing to, um, to invest in your Give work, money. because, <laughs> yeah, which is, uh, again, uh, talking to the, Inspiring comics uh, creators here. Um, if you have a huge following, it doesn't necessarily directly translate into sales. And this isn't, you know, it, uh, it is not to say it's you know, your your following isn't loyal. They're not fans. Is um, just it depends on how you get that following. A lot of people gar- garner huge followings by being amazing artists. They do a lot of uh, fan art. They do a lot of original arts. Um, it's uh, they have a really strong social media presence, and people will follow them in great numbers um, to to admire their art. But comparative to uh, say somebody who uh, does zines, um, who does uh, short comics, it's it's more difficult to convert that kind of art appreciator social media presence to sales than it is right. um, to convert somebody who is already invested in your uh, in your stories and your work, and that's. Uh, that that's one thing to to kind of bear in mind. Uh, really, is that just because you have a lot of people following you doesn't necessarily mean that they are actually your market. So, if it's your first Kickstarter, start small because you can always expand later. Yes, um, yeah. Good advice that I did not follow. Um, <laughs> I've I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but our first attempt at Kickstarter was when it was only available in the US, and we were going right. to do. So this is me and. Uh, my friend Lau, who I started the business with, but he's no longer involved. So at the mm. time, having never made any comic at all, our plan was to raise 10K to do wow. four different stories with four different artists. Again, having never made a comic <laughs> uh, at all, managed to get 4K. And obviously, because Kickstarter is all amazing. <laughs> No idea how. I no idea, honestly, how we even got to that that number. I wish I could get that now i don't know what happened uh <laughs> there and and then had to sort of refocus on one story samurai chef and go from mm. there so yeah Which definitely <laughs> don't do what i did uh start small yeah and you know being part of a um uh, a group that's been published or being part of a collective it does make the the experience a lot less stressful uh, and a lot it feels like it's going a lot more smoothly because you have multiple people who are all actively bringing in different audiences and this is the oh, yeah. key thing. The one thing that uh, uh, I, I kind of really learned from uh, the, the Kickstarter we did previously was it's about tapping into different audiences because you can push it as much as you want through through your own uh, social media channels. You will eventually saturate that and you need to find new ways of talking about it, for example, by going on a podcast or being interviewed. <laughs> Uh, but you know, it's a uh, you, you need to be creative in your approach to to marketing as well. Again, something that a lot of comic creators uh, don't feel comfortable doing. And it's it, the sales you know, part, yeah, sales marketing. A, a lot of people 
they feel a little uncomfortable talking their own work up or yes. um, trying to get money out of people. Yeah. I will say this: the more you do it, the easier it gets. Um, because you know you deserve to be paid for your work. Uh, your work deserves to be out there in other people's hands mm. as well. And having a bit of confidence behind you helps kind of grease those wheels as well. Sure. Um, because you know if you're uh, if you're solid and confident when you're describing your work to somebody uh, that you'd like to buy it. They are more likely to buy it if they think, "Oh, this person knows what they're talking about." This person, yeah, they you know, they believe in what yes. they're doing, and I think that's, that's it. Yeah, definitely. And you know, uh, being being part of the group, uh, like uh, with with Cringy, it makes that a lot easier. So you know, get your friends, <laughs> get your friends together, and uh, do you know do something great together as a group because you will succeed together. Um, that's cool, and you've got like a a good number of backers, and so this is. Tilt Six Tails. Uh, yes. We'll put a link in in chat, and Thank then you. we'll put this on like uh, YouTube, like highlights and stuff. So that would be perfect. Get you. to that goal, and then people can also check it out later. So, what's been the the biggest? Is this the first Kickstarter you've been involved with, or so this is the second one? Uh, so this, I think, is Quindry's third or fourth. Um, they they had a collection published uh, last year, um, which uh, resulted in Wool and Daughter, uh, which was nominated for an Eisner uh, oh, wow. earlier on in this year. Uh, so, you know, uh, they're, they're uh, an absolutely fantastic creator, uh, well deserving of the nomination, and just, you know, just, just the nicest, <laughs> kind of quietest person. Um, but Quin, Quindry, um, you know, uh, they, they do amazing work across the board. And, you know, it's been an absolute pleasure to, to work with them, uh, with, uh, even Harry, uh, have been editing, uh, the stories and, you know, they're comic artists, uh, uh, in their own right as well. Sure. Um, so it's been, you know, really good to get their insight and knowledge improving the, the stories that we've been working on. And the, the other creators, uh, that are in this book just, it is an honor, and I, you know, I, I do not say that lightly. It really is an honor to to be working alongside them. I think uh, you, know, you in particular might might enjoy um, one of the stories uh, by uh, Jack Devereaux, which is called Gastrotelepathy, which is uh, about um, a chef, uh, a psychic chef, um, who uses that. her uh, the abilities to fight crime, and the, <laughs> the art style is fantastic. Um, there's something very deliciously shonen about his uh, art style. Um, and he uses, uh, grayscale tones, um, just in the most pleasing way. Like, it, it really does, uh, look like, uh, an old school manga, uh, with yeah, the way that he's used his, uh, his screen tones. I just love it. it it's, uh, I, I think that might be right up your, uh, <laughs> you know, right up your alley. Yeah, there's definitely um, a strong food, uh, vibe going through the, <laughs> the background. <laughs> I seem to be hungry whenever I, I, I write something. <laughs> it is, uh, that is cool. And for for your story, what's like the, you know, the, it was like the pitch. What's the the pitch for your story? So, uh, yeah, my story is basically a condensation of a bunch of headlines that were relevant at the time and are even more relevant right now. Um, it's uh, uh, it's a kind of punky uh, story about uh, wealth hoarding uh, and the kind of people who really, really, really want to be billionaires. We'll never get there because they're, you know, they're, they're just kind of middlemen. They're just being used as pawns, but they're sold this dream. Oh, yeah, no, but you will make you a billionaire eventually. And so they kind of, they, they do terrible things. They kind of kick downwards. They don't really care who they trample on. And it's about, um, kind of fighting back against that. 
and using uh, their own tools um, to to subvert that and to um, you know, to make things better. And like I mentioned before, this this is very much a story where you, you know, we examine you know, the the struggle to to affect change, um, the the consequences of you know of letting things stay as they are versus the consequences which you know still have a cost of making things better. Yeah. And yeah. Um, the, the, there is a line kind of towards the end uh, where where one of the the heroines laments having to kind of destroy the city in order to save it, um, which will will make sense when you read it. They they don't mm. actually destroy the city or society, but uh, mm. you know it's I, I took great care to to kind of illustrate that you know big economic changes, particularly when they disrupt uh, the, the systems that are already in place, even if the systems that are already in place are meant to kind of benefit people in power already, uh, people who have plenty of wealth and power. Mm. Um, it's still, if you try and affect a big sweeping change to them, it will still have uh, a knock-on effect further down the chain, which will allow you to reform into something better. But you have to, there is a period of pain first, and yeah. you need to brace for that. So, uh, yeah, like I said, it was relevant when I started writing it about mm, a year ago. Yeah. Uh, and it kind of has only gotten more relevant yep. since then. That is cool. You make me think about like hotline story now and how, <laughs> uh, how I want to take that. That sounds like, uh, there's a lot of deep themes and things mm. to consider from your, from your work. And you, cause you write and draw. Yes. Uh, yeah. I, I do everything, um, except have a social life. Um, but, uh, <laughs> cause, uh, cause yeah. I can only write, which I mean, it's probably good because then I'd add that to the list of things that I'd be doing. I feel, yeah, I definitely do enough. So thankfully someone else can do the artwork and i can write do you have a if not a preference but do you have one are you stronger in one versus the other i think it depends on what i'm doing at the time if i'm writing i'm wishing that i was drawing and if i'm drawing i'm thinking about the next project i want to write because um, <laughs> having finished uh, my, my story is called um f hyphen exclamation mark providence hmm. um yeah uh, having having just kind of finished a, a a year of work on it, I gave myself a couple of weeks off and then immediately launched into the five other projects. Um, <laughs> I've been on the back burner. Yeah, it's the nature um, of it, isn't it? It's always the ideas yeah. that are coming. Which yeah, the, the, I think that's just the part of the creative experience is that yeah. you don't become a creator to have ideas. You become a creator because you have ideas that won't leave you alone. Oh, so you yeah, need to good. kind of get them down on paper, like um, by necessity. That's oh where, yeah, that's where it takes. Otherwise, you. They, yeah. they, they just live in your head. <laughs> um, yeah, but yeah, yeah I'm uh, kind of in a, a, a kind of writing and planning period now. So I've got a few things that I want to work on. Probably another two or three uh, things that I want to self-publish, uh, mm. and then a couple of others. Because um, now that I successfully had something uh, pitched and accepted, well, I say that no. Um, <laughs> what I did pitch to Quindry originally was um, uh, for a larger work. It right. was the same story, but it was um, uh, a pitch for their kind of main collection for next year. And Eve got in touch. Uh, and genuinely, the, the loveliest, best rejection email I've ever gotten said, you know, we don't think it's a good fit for that particular collection, but we would like to still work with you in a kind of more condensed format. Would you be happy with that? And I was like, yes. <laughs> yes, please. So uh, that, that, that was a, a kind of good confidence-building moment for me personally. Mm. 
Uh, and, you know, uh, like I said, working with, with you and Harry has been an absolute delight. Just the, the, the sheer insight that we've been able to give throughout the whole process. Um, you know, I've learned a lot. Um, yeah. Just by doing that as well, and it gives me confidence to uh, to go pitching again. And you know, again, it's it's one of those things, isn't it? That uh, uh, you you absolutely have to be prepared for rejection um, and not take it personally because it you know it doesn't oh, process. Uh, yeah, as difficult um, as it is to yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> get to grips with it is part of the process. Most, yeah. most people will say no. Yes, to whatever you're doing, and you're just trying to find the right home for it. Yeah. That that is the 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 kind of upshot of it all. It, it's kind of given me a, a taste for for um, doing not not the whole thing, but enough to kind of put together a pitch packet. So there's a couple of uh, stories I am working on right now um, that uh, I'd, I'd like to start pitching around. They're very embryonic right now, um, but, um, but yeah, uh, I'm quite excited about uh, the stuff that I'm now able to work on. Uh, and you know, that's the thing. I, I definitely find with comics is the more projects I do, the more enthusiastic I become about the next one. I mean, I'll have a great time doing one project, yeah. but once I'm done with it, I'm not, you know, I'm not done. Um, it's not like, right, I'm winding everything up now. It's like, okay, I've, I've gotten this done and it's ready to be, you know, shipped or printed or published. Now I can do this other thing. Right. So it's uh, that momentum for you. Yeah, because you have so many ideas. It's like, okay, cool, we got this. Yeah, and then the next one. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and you know, I, I think it's the same for log creators. Um, we, uh, like I said, we just keep on having ideas, uh, and we want to we want to do stuff with them um, mm. because you know it means a lot to us, and we think other people will enjoy them too. Yeah, no, I totally get that. It's like, yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot going in in there. <laughs> it's just getting it down. And then, so before we uh, before we end, I wanted to asked you about it's like inspiration slash just what are you enjoying so like outside of comics are there other stories that you're uh, inspired by anything that you're sort of watching reading or playing at the moment that kind of makes you like oh yeah i want to go and create something that's interesting like uh i i often actually wonder about uh, my kind of non-comic influences um mm. because um i suspect i take a lot of inspiration from a bunch of different places a lot uh, a lot of um, my kind of early stories uh, were influenced by um, the original uh, Deus Ex game. Um, oh, which I was just talking about very, it's, it's one of my favourite games. Such of a good game. It is. <laughs> because it's, it's not just a fun kind of cyberpunk setting. And, uh, it's a story. You know, it's game. a proper. Yeah. Yeah. And there's environmental stuff as well. So you can, yeah. and that's what I love doing with the game, uh, was just kind of nosing around the backgrounds, reading the little snippets of, uh, you know, kind of very Bioshocky. I think that there was a, a certain crossover yeah. with the, oh, well, System Shock at the time. There was a certain oh, yeah. crossover in some of the, the designers. But, you know, just, uh, and I really love that. And it's the very definition of showing, not telling. Yeah, um, all the way through. Yeah, and I I absolutely adore that. I mean, you know, combine that with the Matrix. That was very formative for me, kind of uh, when I was in early uh, early high school. So you know, uh, uh, and I've always um, I I think I play more games than I do read comics. Um, so I'm probably fairly heavily influenced. I know that um, uh, Dave Cook, uh, the writer of Killtopia, mm-hmm. um, he, uh, he in many ways as a sort of reverse uh, Kojima. Whereas oh. Kojima takes a lot of inspiration for his games from movies, Film. yeah, Dave takes a lot of his inspiration for comics from video games. Because he used right. to be a video game journalist uh, and still writes about uh, video games and uh, uh, kind of genres within video games. Uh, so I, I actually suspect I'm very similar 
But yeah, what, what am I actually playing just now? I'm playing City Skylines just now, um, which is um, City Skylines. I don't know. It's a very is basically Sim City but modern. <laughs> um, ah, okay. Well, I I I quite like um, telling a story through through building a city in it. Um, mm. So I guess I'm kind of exercising a certain creative muscle that way. Yeah, yeah. I was actually also talking to uh, my, my friend uh, uh, Bertie, who I play uh, video games with. I've been playing a lot of Apex recently, but I actually, I quite like the lore behind Apex, which I think ninety nine percent of the the player base ignores completely. Yeah, I can um, imagine. Well, I, I quite enjoy, it. and again, it's little environmental storytelling bits and bobs mm-hmm. you find throughout uh, the maps um, when you're not being shot at or chased out. Of position. Yeah, yeah. How do you uh, find the time? <laughs> I'm not a great Apex player, but we 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 have a tendency to play um, very slowly. Uh, we are. We never win in a straight-up fight. We always, whenever we won, it's just by kind of vulturing in at the last moment uh, <laughs> when they're off guard. Uh, so we will hide until um, uh, we can seize our opportunity. But the, uh, I, I quite like the... Uh, there's a lot of kind of used industrial kind of feeling to the um, uh, to the environments in there, which I quite like as... Mm. I, I kind of often take that as a sort of inspiration. Between that and you know memories of living in Hong Kong, uh, which has kind of similar, very dense urban landscapes uh, and a surprising amount uh, as well of greenery, which people don't think about when uh, when they think of Hong Kong. Um, but you know, it's kind of uh, a lot of juxtaposition, uh, which I quite enjoy. And I think I take a lot of kind of environmental cues from video games that I play, um, just because by necessity they have to pack a lot of stuff into into their levels. That's cool. Yeah, and I'm, I'm you're the second person within a week who's either brought up Deus Ex or I've mentioned it and actually they know the original one yeah. as well so that's super the soundtrack as well fun. the soundtrack is top notch for it yeah um, oh, that's cool that's cool it's, it's the so, whole package <laughs> yeah so honestly yeah one of the my top three person top three definitely uh, games are played so um, we are just about out of time but before we go we want to make sure we let people know where we can find you and your work. So I put your Twitter in the overlay, but uh, just let people know where they can find you and your work. Sure. Um, so, yeah, Twitter is by and far the, the place to hear the thoughts that are tumbling out of my brain on a second-by-second <laughs> basis. I, I usually talk a lot about my work there. Um, and again, similar to, to what I said about the stories that I write, I tend to tweet about things that either annoy me or I find very cool, sometimes both at the same time. <laughs> um so um yeah um if if folks follow me um at chris Manson lau uh, on twitter i'll also just pop i do have um, a portfolio website which i will eventually get around to adding links to a shop to i'm trying to uh to set up uh, an online store mm. um which is going uh varying levels of successful uh, but eventually i'll figure it out uh so i'll i'll Again, I'll tweet about it, but I will also pop the link, um, cool. uh, the links into my portfolio. Uh, and yeah, um, if folks can can check out the Quindry uh, Kickstarter, um, like I said, it's the the stories uh, that are in it are absolutely fantastic. I'm really looking forward to to kind of getting the stories into people's hands because just the, the the range of subjects, the range of art styles um, is fantastic. I'm really, really excited about it. Um, so, yeah, it's still pretty early on in their Kickstarter as well. So there's uh, plenty of time to kind of... Uh, yeah, you've got time. Uh, uh, yeah. And uh, I know that Eve will be um, putting out uh, little snippets of creator interviews as well. 
Uh, I think Julie's just went up. Uh, Julie Campbell, fantastic nature artist based in Fife. Table beside her uh, won Edinburgh Comic Art Fair, which is going back in time a bit now. <laughs> um, so yeah, um, please please do check it out uh, and uh, share it share it around. Uh, yeah, most importantly. No, well, I'll uh, check it out. Uh, looking at some of the rewards as well. Encourage other people to do the same. Also taking notes because we've got a Kickstarter in the works as well. We're gonna do. Uh, maybe next month. Uh, now no. been in the works for a while, but to get back into the habit of doing uh, kickstart and building up that muscle uh, again. So yeah, uh, no, cool <laughs> to see. Like you're off to a good start with a lot of time to go. And uh, yeah, we have reached the end of uh, this latest episode of Casual Conversations with Comic Creators. Chris, thank you very much for uh, taking the time out of your schedule to to chat with me. And yeah, tell us yeah. a bit more about yourself and the person behind uh behind the artwork yeah thank you so much for having me it's, it's been a lot of fun uh genuinely has buzzed by did not realize never passed already <laughs> yeah it's funny because when i when we do like the podcast we kind of like drift on because we can edit and everything but I've, yeah. i set myself a goal with the with this particular live stream is like after an hour just like poop, cut yeah yes yeah, you've got it you've got to be strict <laughs> yeah, you realize how quickly it goes you, though it's like, yeah. it's like oh wow an hour can go that quickly but what we can always do is have you back on it at some point uh, again and uh, talk in. more so yeah definitely we'll we'll do that we always like getting people back on on something once we've got you once it's just like we'll, <laughs> we'll get you again but no, yeah, thank it's you now my us. job to actually have something to talk about when I come back. There so you I've go. To, so, yeah, yeah I've, I've just been faffing around with the same pictures as I was <laughs> last time. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, we hope people watching, uh, whether you're watching live or watching later or on one of the, the YouTube highlights that we're going to put out as well. Uh, we're going to be doing this monthly, speaking to a different comic creator each time about their work, uh, about stuff that interests them uh, as we look to find and showcase the, the human behind the art so my name is nigel uh the my matter co-founder i also encourage people to check out our work so we also make comics we make manga style comics as i mentioned i write i don't draw but we have a great artist finale who does the artwork uh we also do a podcast that i've mentioned where we do deep dives into stories across pop culture plus have interviews with creative professionals from time to time and we do a gaming event and a platform called gamepad so we're now back to doing physical events. So we've done a number of physical events this year. We've got some plans to do a couple more. And then we also have our uh, campaign, Do I Look Like a Gamer, where we're promoting inclusion and diversity in the video games industry. And we've got a bunch of events and activities for that. So we also, we're doing a lot, uh, a lot of things. So encourage people to follow us here on Twitch, check out our YouTube and Twitter as well. Uh, our Twitter is also in the overlay there. And then, yeah, we will see you uh, next month for the next episode of Casual Conversations with Comic Creator. Take care, everyone.